So um, we're continuing in our love story. It's a love story. This is Advent. This is the coming of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming again. He already came one time, and, and God has prepared his people for his coming. And he went way back before Jesus came the first time on earth. And, he, and he's coming because he is so madly in love with his creation that he wants them with him. And so he's using this whole process, and he left his word for us in what we call the Old Testament and the ancient scriptures, of, of the story of his love and his pursuit and his chasing after us. Mankind rejects God naturally. It's in our nature to do that. We reject him. Uh, we, in a sense, we have this love relationship in the garden, and then we have a breakup, right? And God wants to make up with us. Um, he pursues us. He releases his wrath, as we saw through Exodus on Egypt, um, through the Pharaoh, and he releases his wrath through ten plagues, and he uses this staff that he gives to Moses as kind of the symbol of God's wrath, and, and he releases it until Pharaoh lets the people go, and he lets the people go. And so now they're out, and they've taken the plunder with them, and they're leaving in such a hurry, um, they really didn't have time to fill up their canteens or make sandwiches. They're gone. They're just like in a rush. They go out to the edge of this Red Sea. They're backed in a corner. You know the story. You saw the movie. And God did the miraculous. He said, yeah, I, I knew what I was doing. And he opens the sea. The people pass through it. And there are the children of Israel are safe. And then Egypt chases, evil chases them. The good guys make it. And the bad guys are covered up and destroyed. The wrath of God. That's the storyline. That's the storyline of most movies, by the way. They did not, those creative writers didn't make that up. The reason you love that is because it's in your heart. It's in your DNA. God created you to love a love story. It is built in us. And this is the greatest love story ever. So God is going to teach his children obedience, his love for them, his character, his goodness, his power and also his justice. And he starts off with them being hungry. They're hungry. They've just left. There's no food. They're in a desert, for goodness sake. It's not like there's game everywhere. And God says, don't worry about it. I've taken you out. Do you think that I'm going to take you out and just leave you the way you are? Do you think that I so redeemed and drew Michael and Crystal to me that I'm just going to leave them where they're at? Uh, they're mine now. I'm going to take care of them, and I'm going to take care of you. That's what he does for his people. And so they cry out. They're grumbling, and they go to Moses because that's natural human nature, right? We're going to grumble. Oh, you're taking me out of here, and now you're not giving me any food. We're better off back where we were. He says that in Exodus 16. He says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. I want to put this in perspective for a moment. They have seen God miraculously deliver 10 plagues on Egypt. They saw God do the miraculous in being released from their bondage as slaves under this horrible oppressive force. They have gone to the sea that was impossible to cross and to live and watch God divide it. They walk on dry land. They get to the other side, and now they're grumbling. Uh, where's God? That's just like us. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Moses, I can't believe he did that. You're starving us to death. Well, you know, when you're desperate, you know what it's like to be desperate, right? Like you're in desperate need. You're desperate. You do about anything. And, and you're just reaching for straws. And so the first natural inclination we have when we're desperate is to complain and to grumble and get mad at We got to take it out on somebody. You got to take it out on your least favorite politician, your least favorite tycoon and billionaire, whatever it is. We got to take it out on somebody. And they took it out on Moses and Aaron. And um, God is going to teach them, you're taking it out on the wrong guys. When you grumble against my messengers, you're not grumbling against them. You're grumbling against me. That's a very important piece of theology, by the way. That's how God looks at it. And Moses responded to them. By the way, our dissatisfaction, whenever we're desperate and we're in dissatisfaction, we're go, our whole insides are crazy. All that is rooted in our lack of belief or faith in God's goodness. All of sin is rooted in the belief that we don't believe that God is perfectly good, can perfectly provide for us, that God is perfectly able to care for all of our needs. God is delighted to pray, to provide for his children. And so what he does is he just out of the air, he drops quail down and says, hey, you guys want some poultry? And he, the first Uber delivery was God. He just dropped it out. He didn't need a drone. He didn't need a delivery person in a car. He just dropped food on their plate. And he says, you know, when you get up in the morning for breakfast, I'm going to give you some bread. I'm giving you bread in the morning and meat every night. He did that for 40 straight years. How would you like to get up every single morning? You don't have a cook. You don't have anyone preparing for you. And you get up and there's food laid on your table. Or you go outside and, you know, your grass is covered in cheese omelets. I don't know. Whatever it is you like. <laughs> Jesus said that this about it. This was He spoke to this in our hearts. Talking to a people that worry, that are desperate. He just says, I'm going to read it. It's not going to be on your screen in Matthew. He says, look at the birds of the air. Look at, look at the birds. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. They don't have any food. They don't have anything. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, listen to these words, are you not much more valuable than they? Are you, his children, more valuable than they? If I take care of them, won't your father in heaven delight to take care of you? It was interesting in the desert in this time that God's provision was only daily. He didn't give them extra to hoard. People tried to hoard it, and God made sure that maggots and mold would set into the food. And so if they tried to hoard it, except for the day before Shabbat, before the Sabbath, they... They were given two portions that day, one for that day and the next for the, the Sabbath day. Um, but they couldn't do it. So I just picture you're getting this food every day. It gets kind of boring, doesn't it? You know, I mean, we like variety. So they probably were frying the bread in quail grease or whatever, you know, came up with creative ways. Do we bake it today? Do we fry it today? Do we eat it raw today? Are we doing vegan today? I don't know. God provides the the next, and they're desperate, and they're out in the desert. And when you're in the desert, it's kind of dry, isn't it? 
So what is this next point of desperation you're going to have? You need some water. There's no bottled water. There's no FEMA. I'm out there giving you, hey, come on, take some. There's nothing there. They're just, it's just you and God who provides the meat and will he provide the water. But, of course, their memory is short. And it says this, and they're grumbling for their lack of water. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, it was the name of the desert, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rafidam. But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. We want water. Forgetting still the ten miraculous plagues of God, the amazing miraculous opening of the water, the amazing release from their oppressors that was impossible apart from God. Forgetting that he is the one that feeds them. Will you now leave us to die with drink? And they go to man instead of to God. God is teaching them. He's teaching us. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why are you, why are you bringing this to me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Why? And they said to him, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? The people directed their anger like we do at local whatever, politics, business, the economy, bad leadership, whatever that is for us, our family, our spouses. And God is saying, when you grumble, you're not grumbling against them. You're grumbling against me. Have you not learned? And he's teaching them. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, God, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They're they're picking up stones. They're going to stone me. They're having a mutiny. Uh, this is a beautiful picture, by the way. I want to take you back. We've been doing that every week and take you here. God has given a, an emblematic picture, a symbol of what's going to be. And so Jesus is on the earth. And it says in his word in John, and they picked up stones to stone him. Moses is nothing more than an inferior representation of what Jesus is doing. He is the he will be the ultimate deliverer. He is coming. And the Lord answered Moses in Exodus 17, 5. Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Now the staff, remember, that staff has only been used for one purpose, and that is to bring the wrath of God upon Egypt. It is the wrath staff. So he takes the rod with him. This is the rod that struck down all of the ten false gods as we went through a couple weeks ago. And this is what God says. He said, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. So just picture this mountainous rock. And he tells Moses, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, you have to ask a question here. Like, God, what? what why are you using the staff that was your wrath staff? And why are you going through the trouble bringing water from a rock? You could easily bring water from the ground through a cistern or a well, just like you did when you flooded the earth. You could easily bring water from the heavens and bring it down. You could bring water any way you want. So why are you choosing a rock? There's a purpose behind the rock. 
Now, the Apostle Paul interpreted this event for us. This is called hermeneutics. It's a fancy theological term, and it's simply it's the interpretation of Scripture. Paul interprets what God was saying at this point. He says, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact. This is in 1 Corinthians 10. Brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud, talking about the cloud that God guided the ancestors through, through the exodus of Egypt, and they all passed through the sea, talking about the Red Sea. They were baptized into Moses, meaning they went down and, and they came up from life. They were saved from life, baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food. I, I'm sorry, Paul, I don't see any spiritual food in here. What I see is manna and quail. But Paul is saying, no, let me give you the point. What God was trying to tell them is that he is giving them spiritual food. What is that spiritual food? The spiritual food is that you can trust me as your source. I am your provider. I am, as you heard this morning from our baptisees, the one with whom I get my recovery, the one with who sustains me. He is the power that I have. So he goes on to say, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. They ate the quail, they drank the water, for they drank from the spiritual, watch the word, rock. And that accompanied them, and that rock, now he defines who's the rock? The, the rock was Christ, was Jesus. He says, yeah, that's, that was the point in the desert. And we're just showing you what's coming, the advent, what is coming ahead. The bread and the water represented spiritual food and that God is our source. And now Jesus is the rock. Now, I know you thought that Dwayne Johnson was the rock. I know, I know. But he wasn't. He's the second rock. Jesus is the first rock. Now, if you don't believe me, I just want to go on because I, I know I'm like you I'm like I could be a little skeptical you hear a lot of stuff out there a lot of nonsense you know and you find out later it's not true and you, you could be cynical but Jesus makes this very clear he himself described himself as the rock he said it he said it and real quickly Matthew 7 24 everyone that hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock well, who's the rock he's the rock Jesus said to them, have you never read in scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, meeting himself as the cornerstone holds it all together? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in your eyes. It's marvelous, guys. You're seeing the rock in front of you, the stone that cannot be moved. Anyone who falls on this stone, who himself, will be broken to pieces, but anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. That anyone who bows before him and declares him the Lord of their life. He gives them water to drink. All those who resist him, then one day the rock will crush them. You can either bow before the rock or be crushed by the rock. God renamed the place that this rock was struck because the people grumbled and they strived to do things on their own. They strived to have it their way and to resist God. He, ch he changed the name to the place they were at and he called it striving and bitterness. He named it striving. And he did it as a warning to them that they should not strive or be bitter against God. Jesus proclaims himself the water from the rock at Sukkot. He is the water. Those of you know the Jewish celebration every single year. It's a great celebration. It's one of joy. It's one of singing. 
And in, back in Jesus' day, they, the high priest would, would walk in procession. There would be glorious choir singing. There would be celebrations. There would be tambourines playing. There would be hooping and hollering as the priest went all the way to the pool of Siloam. And he would take his golden pitcher and dip it into the living, representing the living water. And the pole procession would follow him singing and dancing all the way to the temple where he would take and pour the water into the basin at the altar of God where God is. It's just a great picture. In that picture, at that moment, in that moment of rejoicing and singing about something that happened over a thousand years ago in a desert that God provided for his people, Jesus is going to reveal to them that he is the rock and the water. On the last and greatest day of the festival, and this is in John 7, 37, Jesus stood, the festival of Sukkot. Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living Water will flow from within them. The picture is a remembrance of a rock that was struck by a wrath staff from which living water came that gave them life and sustained them. And he says, by this he meant the Spirit, that his Holy Spirit would come and would dwell in all of those who bow before the rock of God. And all whom believed in him were later to receive. Jesus goes on and he offers this living water to anyone who would have it. He meets this woman at a well. You know the story, most of you, John chapter 4. And he looks at her and he says, this is what you really need. You, you've got all these relationships that haven't worked at all. One bad relationship after another. But I know what you're really hungry for. What you really want in your heart of hearts is you want something more. You want something more satisfying. And so Jesus at this well in John 4, 13, and he looked at the woman. He said, everyone who drinks this water at this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus goes on and he Proclaims himself the bread, the manna from heaven. He says, I am the water that came from the rock, and I am the bread that comes to you from heaven. This turned a lot of people off, and it's probably turning some of you off. Some of you are just having a hard time getting your brain around this. That God, but you know in your heart of hearts, this is what you know internally, that whatever you have today is just not enough. It's not sufficient. That there's more. And we go chasing after more. And for some, that's maybe been medicating your something more desires, that deep hole in you, that inner anxiety and angst that just takes you away. For others, it's burying yourself in intimacy outside of marriage or in, in shoring up a great career, or initials behind your name, a structure of power, a certain amount of money in the bank. And it brings you to a place of cheating and lying and the need for acceptance, all those things that we fill up in our life, thinking that's going to be enough, and it's never enough. Jesus said, but I'm, I'm the bread. So in the desert, he 
He's thinking back. This is the picture in John 6. He said, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, listen, it is not, he's doing hermeneutics. He's interpreting like Paul did. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. He's bringing them back to the desert. They all know he's talking to a Jewish audience. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, so the bread of life has come down from heaven and inhabited a virgin named Mary and gives life to all of you. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Isn't that a great statement? All of you that have come to him and you're having doubts right now, I don't know if I'm his. You come to him, you bow before the rock. He says, I'm never driving you away. If you go away, it's because you've pushed me away. And, and so we have this beautiful picture, and we still haven't answered the question, why, why, did, he, why did he use a, a staff of wrath? Why did he take a staff that brought wrath and represented wrath, and why did he strike the rock that we now know represented Jesus? Because he was telling them, there is one coming. He's greater than Moses. This is all in the desert is teaching you something, that one day God will take his wrath and he will strike the rock, his son. He will pierce him. And through him and through his death and resurrection, living water will come and be available to you. And you will have the bread of life that you really want. That's the picture. And just to make sure the picture was clear, we didn't misunderstand it. God intentionally fulfilled his prophecy, his prediction that he made thousands of years before that his legs would never be broken like is customary to do for those who have been crucified. Instead, to make sure that he's dead, they took a staff, a piercing rod, and they pierced his side. And the scripture clearly says, and from the side, the eyewitnesses said, came blood and water. The blood that has redeemed you and becomes your bread of life, that covers over your sin, and the water that cleanses you and makes you pure before a holy God. It's the whole picture, brethren. And God purposed this. Imagine, he purposed this since the beginning of time. That he had you in mind. He knew your name. And that he so desperately wanted you. That he, that he left all the signals and all the signposts along the way. So that when he came, you would know it was him. And he's here. And he wants us not grumbling and murmuring. He knows what you need before you know it. He understands every need that you have. And he wants to satisfy your soul. And so he comes before you and he says, will you fall at the rock before me so that I can satisfy you? You can't satisfy yourself. You can desperately try and do it all on your own. You've tried it. You end up most of you unemployed, homeless, you get it. You're going to go that way or you're going to come before me and bow before me. I give you everything you need. It's not that relationship you have is great, but it's not what you need. 
that money you have that you're saving, that's great, but it's not ultimately what you need. All that you're striving for, hoping for, okay, those are good, but it's not what you need. That he has come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the water. Anyone who comes to me, I will, I will feed them my bread and I will give them water to drink. And he did it. He did it by becoming, becoming a man on earth, God wrapped in human skin. And he went to that cross and he became your substitute and he took the strike of the wrath of staff. He took the wrath for us so that you wouldn't have to take it. I just dwell on that for a moment as Christmas is coming, the advent of what God did and what he prepared us for. You can bow before the rock or you can be crushed by it. God has called you to a life of rejoicing. Praise, thanksgiving, and rejoicing. Release the water of living life in the spirit through you. That's If you want to know, like, how do I have this life that's rejoicing and praise? You know how you do it? You give thanks to God. You praise him even when you don't feel like it. You rejoice for what he has done, and you remember all the things that he has done for you. And the Spirit of God has no other option but to cooperate with that and rejoice with you. And living waters will flow, so don't harden your heart. I just, I'm going to end there.